Welcome to Two Therapists Talking. The hope for this podcast is to talk about important issues related to couples and individuals who are struggling in their lives with many different issues. I'm David Thompson, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm Sherry Christensen, marriage and family therapist. Please join us as we explore these issues together, and we hope you will learn and be enlightened along the way. Come find us at twotherapisttalking.com. Welcome back to Two Therapists Talking. Today we are doing one of my favorite parts of uh, this process of working together. If you are working on some type of infidelity or betrayal uh, with sexual addiction or pornography, and that is the trust discussion. And the reason why I love this is David has put this fabulous uh, trust discussion together, and it is probably the best thing I've ever seen. So I absolutely use this all the time. So I'm going to let, let David start talking about what this is. Yeah, so trust discussions are another way of saying check-ins. And if you're familiar with a recovery process, 12-step or whatever, there's going to be some accountability between you and your partner, and that's often a check-in. And the idea is for you to know where they're at, where they're at with the addiction, where they're at with their recovery. But what you talk about varies a lot based on who you're working with or what you've read or found online, which is fine. There's a way that I like to do this that covers, I think, a lot of the most important things. And so I call them trust discussions. For all intents and purposes, you can call it whatever you want. Some couples prefer to call it like couple time. Um, Mm -hmm. Trust discussions maybe sound too formal. And I get that. (laughs) Uh, Check-ins probably sound too heavy. So whatever you want to call it (laughs) is fine. But just so you know, trust discussions are check-ins. And the trust, I think I like what you that you call it trust discussions because it's that beginning of that foundation of rebuilding the trust. And I think that that is really critical. If sometimes the betrayer, whether it's with pornography or, or other things feels like, I just like, do we have to talk about this all the time? (laughs) And the answer is absolutely. Yes. You get to, you get to talk about this (laughs) because it's a place of honesty for, for you and keeping that honesty and integrity um, as that fundamental piece, again, like we talked about in a previous episode, that's really key. But it's also important for the relationship. Now, I have, I have um, the betrayers oftentimes will say to me, well, you know, I don't need to do it for them. And I'm like, you're, you're right. You actually don't have to do it for them at all. You don't have to say anything to them at all. But for the relationship part, there's three entities here, right? There's you, there's them, and there's the relationship. And if you would like to rebuild and have a good relationship, that's what this is for. Exactly. There has to be a way to rebuild the trust that's been lost. And in case you haven't figured this out yet, it's a longer process than you think. So these trust discussions can be very helpful. Now, what I will do is ask the person in addiction to initiate. I don't want the spouse initiating. I don't want this to be, it's getting laid. It hasn't happened yet. And the spouse has to say, hey, what about those trust discussions? Are we going to do that? I don't want them responsible for it. It needs to be 
the person in addiction. And I want them to do these steps that we're going to outline for 100 days of sobriety. And then these steps will change. And we'll talk about that here toward the end so you know which steps. In other words, once you have 100 days of not acting out, whether it's pornography or masturbation or um, contacting anybody, anything like that, just no acting out behavior whatsoever, these trust discussions will shift. But ultimately, my hope is that there is some form of trust discussion for the rest of your relationship. It just doesn't have to be this structured or formal. Mm -hmm. But I sure hope it's talking about some of the same things because they're very important things. And that might sound a little bit scary because I think a lot of people when they come into this or, you know, maybe they're in therapy somewhere else and their their trust discussion or their check-in is only are you looking at porn? Right. Have you masturbated? Have you reached out to anyone? And so when when David says this it sounds a little like, "Oh, we got to talk about that for forever," but but I'm really, really excited about getting to share this with all of you because there is so much more. This is this goes into so much about connecting with each other on an emotional level with sharing feelings and what's actually going on for you. And so really, that's a healthy relationship thing right. to have those times every day where you're connecting about what's going on emotionally for you. Exactly. So don't be too worried about that. I'm glad Sherry brought that up. I sort of overlooked that. If, if you <laughs> want to know our philosophy on addiction, uh, you are not an addict. A part of you manages negative or painful emotions through addictive behavior. So we're not labeling you an addict that for the rest of your life you're going to be an addict and you're going to have to work a recovery the rest of your life. Now, there is a maintenance that you're going to likely be doing, yes. but we don't want you to be labeled identify as an addict. All of us have addiction if we're going to be technical. So here's how the trust discussions work. And again, the person in addiction needs to initiate. And I recommend that you initiate these trust discussions around dinner time and not the last thing you do before you go to bed when there's yes. no more energy or willpower left. And it's like lights out and the husband says, oh, hey, trust discussions. Ooh, it's kind of heavy then. So I recommend, and you can do this however you feel. However, I've found it works best if you're cleaning up after dinner, you're tired. However, you can still talk and have a conversation and really be engaged and think about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would recommend. And, uh, you know, just to kind of go along with that, when you're doing it, any time of the day, if, if noon is a good time, you call from work, whatever, you know, first thing in the morning. I mean, whatever it ends up being, it's a 24-hour period. So you don't have to right. worry about like, oh, I've done it at noon. So now, you know, anything that we've talked about or anything that happens the rest of the day, like, ah, what do I do with that? It's just a 24-hour period. So if you're just consistently doing it at the same time every day, you're, you're good. Or if you've missed one, um, which we'll talk about later, what happens, um, it's just however long it covers the entire period from the last time that you did a trust discussion. Right. And I promise you, it'll actually make the recovery process a lot better because if you're not sharing, your spouse will assume the worst and you have to understand that. So this is why it's called trust discussions. As we rebuild trust, 
not that you're going to be excited for it necessarily, but you have to understand <laughs> that if you're not coming to them and saying, let's talk about this, they're going to assume it's because you're hiding something you really don't want to. Maybe they're just not that important to you. There's a lot there, so we can avoid all of it if you are consistent and committed and initiate the trust discussions. Yeah. I will often have spouses, if there's been a day missed, that they will say, I feel like they skipped the day because something happened. And then I was like, oh, it was only the last 24 hours. So now I don't have to report that one thing or, or whatever. And I said, nope, that it goes from the last, the last time that you did the trust discussion. But you can, um, when you're initiating that and being consistent with that, you can avoid some of those things that end up being triggering for your spouse. Yes. And definitely. on the other hand, it helps teach the, the spouse or partner that um, it's, it's not my job to manage and be in charge of your stuff. I stay over here in my lane or on my side of the street and uh, you initiate that because you um, want to help improve the relationship. So not not your job if you're the the partner. It's not your job. Yep. Awesome. So number one, you're going to start by stating your intentions. And this is for, again, that next 24 hours time frame that Sherry's talking about. Your intentions are things that you commit to doing. Um, for example, your intentions can be that you're not going to act out or that you're going to be completely honest, or that you're going to share how you feel. It doesn't really matter what your intentions are. You just have to know them and state them. And we're trying to bring your spouse more into a process of they know what's going on for you. Often we're just not very well connected. We're not communicating very well. And so mm -hmm. it's just a way of saying, hey, this is what I'm up to. And by the way, it doesn't have to be about recovery. It can be, I'm, I'm trying to become more patient. I'm trying to finish this project. It doesn't have to just be recovery. And I usually say maybe do one or two. Don't do more than yeah. two. Remember, you're going to have an opportunity every single day to talk about this. And so it doesn't have to be super comprehensive, everything on your mind. But some of the bigger things. Again, if you're doing something like, I'm trying to be more patient or I'm trying to work on this project, that your intention has to be stated in a something that's measurably accomplished, right? So um, I'm going to not yell at the kids today or, you know, something like that where it's a little bit more of a measurable space. I'm going to finish this part of this project, that kind of a thing. Yep. And, and these first few steps you'll find are very vulnerable. They're going to feel like a lot because you're sharing how you mm -hmm. feel. And maybe you haven't done a lot of that. But I promise you, the more you do this, the better you get at it, the more connected you'll feel, the more validation and acceptance you'll feel. So this is a good thing, but it will be kind of uncomfortable. And that's okay. And if it's not, good for you. Yes. Either yes. way, do it. Again, we're, we're hitting these points that are just healthy relationship, healthy living things. And as you're getting into that space of being more vulnerable, it can feel, definitely feel uncomfortable, but we're moving towards those healthy relationship and healthy individual uh, processes. Yep. We're thinking way beyond just doing trust discussions for the first little while. Yeah. Okay. Number two is to share your challenges. 
And this is going to look a little more around the feelings um, side of things. So feelings that have gotten in the way of your intentions that you had shared previously the day before. Um, so being isolated, withdrawn, stressed, those kinds of things, feeling words, emotions, you want to really get into that space around it. And as part of this, you're going to also report on what we call the big five, how you're doing emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, and financially. So this is kind of a two-part thing. What's happened that may have gotten in the way of my intentions the last 24 hours, and then what's going on with me emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, and financially. Again, big vulnerable spaces here. And it, it may kind of sound like this step two is going to be a really long conversation. It does not have to be. Your partner isn't here to solve your problems or fix your emotions. And mm -hmm. so that's one thing that we explain when we talk about this is you're just listening. If you're the spouse, you're not thinking, oh, no, they're feeling sad. They're feeling withdrawn. They're feeling and, and now I'm going to tell them what I want to do for them or what I'm going to do differently. This is not for fixing anything. This mm -hmm. is just for the person in addiction or who has struggled with addiction to share more about where they're at. And a lot of this is awareness of where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that you can share about emotionally, physically, spiritually. You can add other things that you share about. We just want you to have an opportunity mostly to go through your emotions. And by the way, I guess I should have said this a little bit sooner. <laughs> it's not just one-sided. So we're going through some steps here that are going to be for both the addict and the partner to share. There yes. will be all the steps that the addict shares, but the betrayed partner will share the first few. And so I should have given you a heads up had you thinking about that, but... When the addicted partner has shared all these steps that we're going to cover, we then ask the betrayed partner to go through the first three. And mm -hmm. so we're on step two. The betrayed partner then also would share their intentions and their emotions, which is the step two. And then step three, which uh, I'll jump into here. But just so you know, could have started with that. Be thinking about this, not just as my addicted spouse is sharing with me, but I'm going to have an opportunity to share as well. Yes. Yes. And, um, you do that at the end after everything's over, we'll come back and then the spouse shares. So, and again, those first, these first three are going to be these very connected, emotional, healthy living. This is what we do in healthy relationships, being that, that vulnerable space. Which, when you think about it, makes sense. Hopefully you're sharing what you're doing and what you're up to and you're sharing how you feel. Mm -hmm. So yeah. step three, you share your feelings on how the relationship is going. Now, this is focused on that thing in between the two of you. Yeah. So your relationship. And again, keep it simple. This isn't, hey, this has been hard for me and you need to defend yourself or explain why. This is just listening. It can lead to conversations of empathy and understanding, but it doesn't have to. And we don't want the trust discussions to have to become 20, 30, 40 minutes plus every single time you do them. Yeah. We just want sort of a, how do you feel we're doing? 
and no, no problem solving or fixing. So an important part of this process is for the addict and the betrayed partner to have a voice and to be assertive and direct and clear and share about the relationship, at least their feelings about where the relationship is. Mm-hmm. And with the step two and step three, uh, one thing we like to use is an emotion wheel because oftentimes it can be a little challenging when you're first getting into this. And actually, I still think they're super useful. I'll look at them sometimes and just run through and say, oh, there's... And so what an emotion wheel is, you, it's very easy. To, you could just Google uh, emotion wheel and a bunch of images will come up. And it's just a circle of emotions that start with some of the more uh, general, I guess, emotions in the middle, angry, sad, happy. And from there, it kind of pulls out into more nuanced descriptions of those emotions that can really help you get a little more specific about what's going on for you. And so those are really great to use in these processes, because oftentimes, if you've been numbing out for a long time in your life, coming back into feeling and understanding what your feelings even are can be challenging. Or if you've gotten heightened over something or, or whatever, it can be a little challenging. So being able to use that emotion wheel to say, oh, I'm not angry. Maybe I'm a little more feeling betrayed or, you know, it gives so many more nuances and, and a deeper understanding of what you're actually going through. So for those steps, it can be really helpful to just pull up that emotion wheel, take a peek at it and see what words really fit for you. I love that. And knowledge, words we use matter. Mm-hmm. And the more words we have to describe something, uh, the better the person who's listening will understand. And we ourselves will understand better as well. So this is a good thing. I'm glad she brought that up. And it's really easy to find. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. So step number four is to then give an honesty report. So that is either I've been completely honest with you or I haven't been completely honest with you. And if it's the second one, then you share, this is what I haven't been completely honest about. Right. So as you know, this is the trust discussions part. And we talked in episode three, last episode about steps to recovery for the addicted partner. And number one is honesty. We have to have honesty. We have to have a complete commitment to vigorous, we call it honesty, for trust to start to come back. And that's what this is for. It's interesting. The addiction is always best friends with dishonesty. That's how the addiction survives. Mm -hmm. And so this honesty report isn't so much like I looked at porn or I didn't. It's more like when I went to the gas station, I just got gas. And then she finds the receipt and it says, well, you also got a hamburger. Why didn't you tell me you also did that? Well, I just didn't think it was important. It's an honesty Mm -hmm. that's underneath everything and not intentional. You're trying to hide something as much as you've kind of likely gotten in the attitude of not sharing everything. Yeah. And we want to undo that. We want it to be a vigorous honesty about everything that's going on. And if you're late, uh, you're sharing why instead of just saying you're late. It's just thinking about things differently. It's not uncommon for the addict or betrayer to be able to recognize over time in recovery or sometimes initially when you really start to get into it, 
oh, I'm I kind of lie about everything. I just kind of say you what's all the time, most convenient for the other person to hear what I think will go over best, even if it really doesn't matter. Like I had a tuna fish sandwich for lunch instead of a, you know, PB and J. It just becomes this sort of ingrained space and habit. So here's a good example. I just thought of this. I, I had a couple the other day where he likes to make this uh, chicken curry and he likes things a little spicy, so, but his wife doesn't. And he debated how he should make this and decided he's going to go a little spicy. So he put chili powder or flakes or whatever in it. And as they were eating, she asked him, did you put something in this? And he said, nope. <laughs> Perfect example. It took him about 10 seconds and he came back and said, hey, you know what? That wasn't completely honest. I did. So that's like the force of habit where he's saying what's convenient or easy more than what's actually true. But that was really meaningful to her to see that. Yes. Yeah. That he's coming back in. He's coming back in and he's coming. Wait a minute. That wasn't totally accurate. Let me correct that. Yes. So it's a very common habit and pattern. So if you've noticed that in your life or just maybe even start paying attention to Am I, am I saying that 100% honest? Am I being 100% honest as I'm interacting with really anyone? It's not just right. the spouse. Oftentimes it is really anywhere. It's at work. It's with friends. It's kind it's of a mindset. Church. Yeah, it's a mindset for sure. So noticing that is going to be a really important process. And that's step four. And step four, by the way, is where the addict now is doing additional steps that the spouse doesn't need to do. Mm -hmm. So step four is the first additional step that the addict would do. Now these next three steps, there's seven total. These next three steps, it's, it's gotta be said that if the couple is not ready for these next three steps, because sometimes they're not, and we'll talk about that, you can put this in a notebook. So it doesn't have to be an actual face to face verbal conversation. Mm-hmm. It may be too triggering what we're going to talk about, but it still has to be shared. Yes. The addict still needs to be accountable. And so the best way around that is to have a notebook, just buy a cheap notebook, and you put steps five, six, seven in the notebook for her to review or for him to review when they're ready mm-hmm. anytime. And so you both know about the notebook. It's there. It still has to be filled out every day if you're not doing this verbally. But it's an easier way sometimes to process some of this information. Mm -hmm. In my experience, sometimes couples just aren't quite ready. It's either too close, too fresh. Um, There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. We still need the honesty and the trust discussions, just maybe not verbally face-to-face for a little while. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's good um, to have that, that verbal still. And so sometimes it's helpful to have that, um, the addicted spouse to go to their sponsor and kind of maybe be checking with their sponsor or an accountability person in one of their groups or something like that. But still, even if that's happening, it still has to be, there has to be accountability in the relationship. Right. Definitely. And that 100 days applies whether it's verbal or written. And so you have to do this for at least 100 days with sobriety before this will change. So step five 
is a bottom lines report. And this is stating whether you've broken any bottom lines and which ones. So bottom lines are meant to keep you safe from acting out. Think of it as like the fence at the top of the cliff. Once you fall, it's a different story. We're trying to keep you away from even a slippery slope. And so mm -hmm. a common bottom line would be, let's say in the past, I've looked at porn at night on my phone in the bathroom, then I'm going to have a bottom line around not bringing my phone into the bathroom. Yes. And so we create these bottom lines ahead of time. It might be that I can't watch movies alone or I can't be on the internet past a certain time. Mm -hmm. um, or sometimes I can't even be home alone. If my spouse or partner is not home, it's better for me to be somewhere else. Whatever your particular rituals are for acting out yes. or situations, we want to protect you by forming bottom lines. And once those bottom lines are formed and your spouse knows what they are, step five is you sharing if you've broken any. Oh, you know what? Today at work, I went into the bathroom and I took my phone with me. Mm -hmm. whatever it is, that's what you're sharing about the bottom line. And I haven't said this yet, and I probably should have, but there are consequences <laughs> to all of these things. And so I know maybe the betrayed partner is thinking, okay, this sounds great. Well, what if it just doesn't happen? Or what if they just don't do it? We will talk a little bit here towards the end about consequences. So hold tight. Yes. I really liked what uh, David just said about the rituals around it. And, you know, this is keeping you from that slippery slope. That's always this process of taking it back a step uh, further and a back a step further to prevent you from getting right to that edge. And so we'll do that emotionally. And some of that is being more, um, be more open about your intentions and your challenges and we'll do that with the addiction in a couple of these different spaces but that definitely is part of that bottom lines report is taking it just keeping taking it that step back so really getting into the process of you know, a lot of times uh, addicted individuals will come in and they'll say like I don't even know what happened all of a right. sudden here I am looking at porn I don't even know yep. how I got there and so going through and starting to pull apart, okay, how do I generally get to these spaces? Do I just, oh, it'll be fine just to get on the internet and kind of look around, or it's fine if I just do this or whatever. And then your brain just goes on autopilot and it just tracks you right through. And then you find yourself in these places. So part of this is pulling out again, sort of that ritualistic space, like where do I generally end up going that then starts leading me down this path? And you're hopefully going to become something of an expert on yourself. Mm -hmm. The awareness in this process is very, very important. And knowing those rituals, how you're feeling, uh, is something that will make a big difference. So, yeah. So the sixth step then is to share any slips or relapses and both. So there's a lot of different um, ways that people will describe what a slip is, what a relapse is. Right. There's a lot Every of opinions. Every therapist you talk to will have a different uh -huh. opinion. And by the way, this step six is kind of your traditional check-in. Yeah. That's basically what step six is covering. Mm -hmm. So for this step and for how David and I define this, 
both are the same behaviors of acting out, including uh, PMO, your porn masturbation orgasm, uh, but also including, of course, looking and searching for anything that's arousing, um, sexually touching yourself, even if it doesn't end in orgasm, shows that you watch have se- that have sexually explicit material um, that you entertain for any amount of time. All of those kinds of things would count in this. And that's because, again, we are really looking to target and, and be aware of all of these processes. And the difference that we determine, um, have determined between a slip and a relapse is whether or not you're honest about it. So whether or not you've shared within 12 hours or not. Sometimes I'll say between the last trust discussion. So it could go maybe up to 24 hours. Right. David, what's you, your opinion on that? You definitely may find that you have to share before you're going to have a trust discussion. Because if you wait for the trust discussion and you have acted out, you don't want to go over that 12 hours. Now, this is important because if you're committed to honesty, we can rebuild trust with behaviors that are still happening. Now, Mm -hmm. that is something that you need to understand. So your spouse doesn't expect you to be perfect. They know you've got stuff. They just can't. And we talked about this in the first episode as well. They just can't handle the dishonesty. They -hmm. don't like the acting out. But as they learn more about addiction and how it's it's more of a dimmer switch than an on-off switch, there's likely to be times where the behavior is still hanging around here and there that's just not very productive or healthy. That's okay as long as there's a trend towards sobriety, but really it's okay, especially as long as you're just being honest about it. You have to absolutely commit to complete honesty so that trust can begin to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to go over the 12 hours before you do a trust discussion, you've got to let them know. That's what I tell uh, everyone that I talk to. You have to let them know. Because if you're not committed to complete honesty, we're kind of looking at a different problem. And that helps me to know what we need to stop, slow down, and focus on if we're just not even at that point yet of we're going to be honest about all this. Which makes sense because it's very scary. Yes. But for purposes of this, we've got to have a way to determine is this a less serious, I'm committed to honesty, but I messed up? Or is it a more serious, oh, I'm going back to my hiding, minimizing, mm-hmm. keeping secrets behavior, which is not going to work. And I want to emphasize here for um, the spouses that might be listening, especially if you're brand new in this process, it might feel scary that, a little bit scary that David is saying, well, it's it's okay as long as, you know, This, again, this is a process of change, right? This is not, as he's saying, that on-off switch. There are a lot of things, like we were talking about the rituals around it, the processes that bring you into it, the emotions going back even farther that trigger the process in the first place. And it takes time to bring all that from the subconscious up up to the conscious and process through what that, what those things are. And then once you even understand them, then it's a process of beginning to eliminate them, beginning to work on all of those underlying things so that this doesn't result again. 
Um, addiction is not the problem. It's all the underlying things that are the issues that are causing this to occur. So we're not, we don't want to try to throw a bandaid on this and, and just say, okay, great. You know, never act out again that we have to go through the actual deep stuff of healing and recovery. So yes, the trend is to improve, to get better, and um, over time as you're doing all the deep work, this just becomes less of a thing because you've done the deep work. Right. So sexual addiction and, and really any addiction is not about feeling good. It's about not feeling. So th- these are the negative emotions that we're running from. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, emotions like loneliness and rejection. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it helps. This is definitely not a, a free pass or a green light that they can continue to act out. No, right. no, that's, that's not what this is. Yes. But, you know, it's it's similar to if you're trying to lose weight and you know how to do it, but you're not doing it and you're frustrated with yourself that you're not doing it, but you've read books, you've read articles. There's more to it than just willpower. Yeah. Like, you know how to lose weight, but you're still frustrated with yourself. It's like that. It's not an excuse, but it's just a process that takes time. And really, it's about your addicted spouse or partner learning how to manage those negative emotions in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. So this all sounds good and looks good, but he's not some expert on his emotions yet. Not even close. So we anticipate that the behavior that makes him feel better when he feels bad will continue. At times. But it's Mm -hmm. not something that you know he can do forever and definitely just because and we're not saying like oh it's fine so i'm glad sherry brought that up Mm -hmm. um now with this you're going to want to give basic details of what's happened and if there's been a slip or a relapse like i was doing i was looking at porn for this many minutes on this device i did i didn't masturbate we don't need to go into massive amounts of detail um, David, give me your thoughts on with if you're sharing a slip or a relapse within that 12-hour time frame. Um, do you have your clients look at respond in this way, or do you have them just say, "I have something I need to share during that trust discussion," or is it does it matter for you? What do you think? Oh, I definitely want them to share within the 12 hours, and then they keep it very simple, okay. and and that's good for the spouse not to get a lot of details. Again, it would be sort of like, so you you didn't follow your diet. Well, what exactly did you eat? Maybe not as important as you just didn't follow your diet. So there's something bigger going on. That's what we're trying to focus on. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's helpful, but I as much as you can, I tell the person who's been betrayed um, to try to go for less is more when it comes to details. Because again, yes. that's the symptom. And we're not trying to treat the symptom. Mm-hmm. We're trying to treat the disease and we're, we're trying to help him or her to feel better about themselves, to connect better, communicate better, take others' perspective, develop empathy, all sorts of things. And so mm-hmm. usually it's like, hey, you need to know. It's a text often. Hey, you need to know um, I You're slipped. saying we're talking about the, the 12 hours. The 12 hours, You'll yes. get a text. So the person says. who acted out the addicted partner will send a text and say, Hey, you need to know that I slipped and they can give a little detail there, but more probably in the trust discussion. Mm -hmm. I just need to let you know before it's 12 hours. 
mm-hmm. which is which is really good for the spouse. And even though they don't like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. He slipped. Dang it! I don't want him slipping. This is hard for me. Now you know, and you can go into a little more detail during the trust discussion if you need to, and you may not. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes a little bit of detail, like okay, it was porn versus masturbation versus reaching out to someone else, like some basic small things. Um, and you know, if you, if you were looking for three hours, that's a lot different than I was looking for five minutes and, and good for the spouse to know, because we Mm -hmm. may need to adjust the bottom lines Mm -hmm. and their job is to help, right? Not that they're responsible for your recovery, but if it was, you were gone and I was home alone again. And when I'm alone, then, then you can maybe set some bottom lines around that, that will help going forward. Yeah. That, yeah, you, the addicted person, will set those bottom lines. Um, and sometimes it can be a little helpful. Sometimes it's a little bit of a figuring out process for the spouse, for the betrayed person to kind of figure out what information is helpful. So for me, I like to have my clients just kind of figure it out as they go along. Sometimes... If they get a text that says, hey, I just let you know I've acted out, we'll talk about it in our trust discussions, then we have a big problem. The spouse may be just, I mean, all day, like, oh my goodness, they're probably reaching out to somebody and they're probably doing all of this stuff when really they, you know, looked at porn and didn't masturbate for like two minutes or just saw it really quickly. So sometimes that for that betrayed person, depending on where they're at, they, they kind of want that detail initially so that they don't, they're not ruminating and, and, um, having a lot, a really hard time trying to figure out how they're going to manage the rest of the day until they find out actually what happened. So, right. If it's really big, you need to let them know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, or even if it's really little, sometimes it's helpful to let them know, like it was just, it was this. Yeah. Totally appropriate for sure. In in a text to say it was P it was PMO, it was MO. Two minutes, you know, that kind of a thing, just to give them some, some information there. Sometimes they don't want it, but I mean, if it's possible to talk about it, talk about it. Yes. It just often isn't it. It's, it's late night and they get up early and go to work and if they wait until the evening, they pass that 12 hour. And so they have to, at some point, call her, reach out to her or him, mm-hmm. text, something like that. Yeah. Have that, have that discussion. And then that also gives uh, the spouse that time and space to say, okay, you know, when we do trust discussions, I'm going to just do a little extra work, grounding myself, centering myself, doing what I need to do to get myself in a good place for that discussion. Well, David, I think this is such great information and we have so much more that we want to talk about. I think we're going to separate this into two uh, podcast or two episodes yeah. of the podcast. So uh, definitely catch us next episode and we'll finish talking about the trust discussions. We'll discuss the bottom lines and the consequences that are essential as part of this process. Which is all really good information and we don't want to rush it or hurry it. So we're going to break this up. So we will look forward to next episode. Thank you for listening to Two Therapists Talking. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you. Connect with us at twotherapisttalking.com or email podcast at twotherapisttalking.com.